but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We live in a society that trains us to be wise consumers, but we're losing our touch with what it means to be generous contributors to our community uh, through our service, through our time, through our treasure, in giving who we are to the Lord, making ourselves available to Him, proving with our very actions that when we call Him Lord, we understand ourselves to be His servant. It's really a choice that Jesus is talking about here. And He gave us the example. When, when Christians serve, the aim is not to uh, make themselves look better than others. Their aim is not to promote themselves. When Christians serve, if we serve like Christ, then we serve with two aims. One is always to glorify God. He gets the bouquet. He gets the glory. The second is not for the sake of ourselves, though we are benefited when we stretch ourselves in service, but we don't do it for that reason. We do it for the reason Christ did it, and that is to edify others, to build others up. And that's one of the reasons that service is so counterintuitive and so countercurrent to the natural flow of the human heart. We're, we're, we're preoccupied with, with self. We're concerned about what's in it for me. And, and so to serve and to be free to serve like Christ served uh, takes a huge step internally spiritually, to refocus ourselves on God's glory and on others, what we can do for them. It's a choice. Uh, Jesus made it very clear. And in that particular Scripture, you can turn there with me in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Jesus says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give, underline give, give his life a ransom for many. But that's not the way greatness is usually defined. Those who we consider great, we usually consider the ones to be served, not the ones who get to serve. Jesus turned our definitions upside down. He pointed out the common way of thinking in society then and calling them to Himself. Them were His disciples. Those He was training to live the life that He lived. He called them to Himself and Jesus said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles, the great ones, as the world sees greatness, they lord it over them and their great men exercise authority over them but it is not to be so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you disciples, you shall, he shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be the slave of all. What a different orienting of the heart it is to, to, to be one who comes because of your great gratitude for Jesus and what He's done to you, to be one who desires, who wants <laughs> to be a great slave. It's a servant's heart. 
and a servant's attitude. And you can many acts of service, but miss that attitude and completely misrepresent the one you intend to give glory. It's so important that the attitude of Jesus live within us. Paul put it this way, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do you hear the other consciousness in that? Do not look out for your own personal interests merely, but for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. And this is how he describes it. This is actually a hymn. One of the first songs we know the church sang was about the joy of being a servant like Jesus. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, something he had to hold on to, something that, that he had to prove in order to, to establish his worth in the eyes of others. He was so confident in who God thought he was and who, who, he, know, who he knew he was that when they walked into the upper room that night and Jesus was about to give his life on the cross, the next, he was about to prove himself to be the greatest lover of humanity that's ever been, right? And, and if anybody deserved to be served that night, it would have been Jesus. But all the other disciples were so self-absorbed that when they walked into the upper room that night, it was left to Jesus. Or maybe it wasn't even left to him. I wonder if he even gave him the opportunity to walk by the basin and the towel. I wonder, knowing Jesus' heart, if he didn't beat them to the towel and the basin, and he did the lowly servant's work, of washing the feet of those that he loved. Loving his own, John says, he loved them to the end. And when supper was over, he girded about himself a towel and began to wash the disciples' feet. Do you see how in, in Jesus' frame of mind that service and love are just the action that expresses the attitude. Too, too often when it comes to service, I get focused on results. I guess I've always been that way. Maybe it's because I was an athlete by training or something like that. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm, I, I can tend to be a type A person that's driven and wants to see results. I don't know. Anybody else afflicted with that? And, and, and I can often forget the attitude on the way to achieving the goal. If you've ever tried to engage me in conversation five minutes before I come in to preach, you know I have that weakness. You know? Uh, I am so focused on wanting to do that and do that well. I know what it is to have a heart that hungers, to have said by my Lord, well done, thy good and faithful servant. But, but if all the doing it right and doing it well displaces the doing it with love, We've misrepresented Christ. 
Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. He wasn't concerned about his right. He didn't see rights. He didn't seem to care that the other disciples were being lazy and self-occupied that night. He, he, he initiated with this kind of love. He washed their feet. I, I all too often uh, push myself to be faithful in the obligations to serve without first in those moments of service really framing my heart so in the gratitude for Jesus that however I serve, that's what it feels like when people's feet get wet around me. That they've been loved. God, forgive me. For the way sometimes I, I serve, but don't serve enough like my Lord. A serving attitude, it's really so important. Jesus, when he was talking about the really fruitful life of a disciple, do you remember that in John 15? I am the vine, you are the... My father is the, the vine dresser. And so as the branches, we get to the joy of working with the vine dresser and letting him prune us and work through us and prepare us to be fruitful. He, Jesus is the very vine that flows through us. That's, that's a pretty intimate picture of being with Christ as we become fruitful as disciples, effective as disciples in how we serve. But Jesus said after he explained that little parable, I have told you this for this reason. Do you remember what the reason was? So that you might be effective? So that you might be fruitful? No, he tells us explicitly. He's talking about fruitfulness, but he says this. He says, and I've told you these things that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. How many of you think is that elder son that we talked about a while ago was preparing things for his dad, that there wasn't a, a smile on his face, a delight in his heart because of who he loved and who he knew he was pleasing with his service? A servant's attitude, it's the how with which we serve that servant's attitude is one that is always filled with love, always in touch with joy, even when it's difficult. To be a servant and to be a servant of God is also sometimes arduous. It is work. But Jesus, even as He endured the cross for the joy that was set before Him, endured it. Endured it. Service can be something that we have to have the strength to endure. But it need never be joyless when we know whom we please. Without this kind of servant's heart, we can really serve very ineffectively. Our, our goal around here is to serve effectively. And without this attitude, almost always our service twists into something that even though we may be faithful to get the job done, becomes something that doesn't represent Christ. 
You know, I, I know that whenever a, a vine dresser plants a vine, that, that they take careful care, first of all, in choosing th- that vine uh, as Christ was chosen, but then, but then they, they enrich the soil. Sometimes they'll even plant uh, other fruits in the soil so that the decay of those fruits somehow is picked up by the roots of, of the vine in order to flavor the wine, that distinctive, unique, uh, signature wine. It's labeled. And I long for my service, and I long for our service as disciples to be the kind of service that bears the label of our vine dresser, that that has the heart and the nature of Christ about it. And it seems to me whenever our our service becomes uh, uh, self-dominated instead of to the glory of God and to the edifying of others, whenever we become self-pleasing, now I'm not saying that as you serve that can't be something you enjoy. Quite often it is. When you really find the place that you serve effectively, it ramps you up. You're connected with something that makes a difference for you. You're expressing your gifts. You, you, God's giving you passions to express and to make an impact in this world. And when you're in that groove, you, you can't hardly not be joyful. It, it can become life-giving. But that doesn't mean that we serve to please ourselves. You know, well, I don't know that, I don't think I'd like that, you know. Ministering to the homeless, that's not my calling. Well, yeah, it's all of our callings. There's times when the sake for self-preferences, we might opt out of. And the church is teaching on the gifts has almost legitimized that opt-out of the serving opportunity, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's difficult, that Christ may be calling us to right in front of our faces. Hopefully a servant attitude will overcome that. That when we see a need in others, when we feel the heart of our Lord aching, we abandon self and we serve Him. We make a difference. We sacrifice for others. It's not a matter of being self-pleasing or self-proving. I was trying to get at this in the communion meditation, but you know it says in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, this is so good, you really ought to turn there because most of you, some of you are not going to believe that this, this really says what it says. Uh, you, you haven't believed that yet. I, this, is what, this is one of the greatest plagues on people who are trying to be good that I know. I know a lot of Christians that are still robbed of their joy because they haven't got this straight in their hearts. First of all, I want to point this out, that Christ's great gift to us accomplished two things when it affects our service. One was that it saved us from works. And the second thing that Christ's great gift to us did is it saved us for works. But to be a completely different kind of servant in doing it. 
For you have not been saved, uh, for you have been saved by grace, and that of your, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God that none of us should boast. But don't we all sometimes fall into the rut of feeling proud of ourselves for the way we serve? I, I, I've heard people talk about, well, you know, I, I guess I've been a good person and, 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 and better than most, so uh, God ought to be pleased with me. It's, it's that whole thinking that the way we establish a good relationship with God is by doing something that impresses Him, something that's a favor to God, right? But we are saved from working to earn our relationship in the love of God. Because of Christ, we know that it's what He's done, not what we do, that make us right with God. But because that's given us as a gift, who we are as servants is completely changed. We go from being the elder brother in the prodigal son, who's always resentful of being called to serve, to being the prodigal who's come home, that can't wait to put on the ring and the robe as a son and serve in the very presence of the one that he loves as an expression of his love for him. Because of Jesus, we, we, we can not only serve with gratitude for what he's done, we can serve with joy because we get to serve with him, not just for him. And that should transform the touch, the flavor, the vintage of our serving. It's not a matter of being self-proving. Jesus has handled that. We've been released from that. We can, we can now be sons and daughters that serve out of gratitude. Out of wooing, not compulsion. Out of want to, not have to. Because of the work that He's done for us and is still doing in our hearts. We can find ourselves trying to prove ourselves to God. And we can also find ourselves trying to prove ourselves to others. See, see, I did my part too. I always know that I'm falling into this old rut when, when I, I start getting um, sensitive to whether or not people appreciate what I do. I know my heart is out of touch with the well that makes it want to serve. We can find ourselves self-proving to God or we can try to make ourselves uh, appreciated by others. But having a heart and love with the Lord and love with Christ that frees us not to have to prove anything about ourselves but to please God, to help others, to glorify God, to edify others. Our aim is completely changed. Some have suggested that the disciples, when they came into the upper room that night, and Jesus picked up the, the basin and the towel, that in other Gospels it suggests that, that they were arguing about who was greatest on the way to the upper room that night. And I think they were arguing about greatest not as Jesus defined it. But in that 
that self-awareness to be recognized by others as the leader. Some have suggested that maybe those disciples, like us modern-day disciples, walk past the towel in the basin. Because whenever you stoop low to lift someone else up, you can get the impression that you're, you're less than. But Jesus said, no, it's then that you're most like me. You're more, not less. As those who follow me, you don't ascend to greatness as the world does. You descend to service. To be one who becomes great. We don't self-promote. We do what we do for the glory of God. That he, he might get the glory. That His joy, the joy over His great pleasure, might be in us. A servant's attitude is so important, but also our servant's abilities. And I don't have time to get into this in great detail this morning. Many of you have studied, I know over the last couple of decades, the gifts of the Spirit has become a, a teaching that many delve into with great detail. But the way I define the gifts of the Spirit, and I think this is biblical, is the gifts to serve are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're not ours, not our merit badges to wear to say, here, look at me. That would be completely out of touch with the servant attitude, but rather as tools to bless someone else so that if you have a spiritual gift, it's not for your uh, glorification. It's to glorify God and to edify others. It's for all the rest of us in here. So if you don't employ it in service, it's not you that gets cheated. You're actually cheating those for whom God intended that gift to be blessing. Does that make sense? And the Scriptures teach that each of us has been given a gift. First Peter 4.10. Each of us has been given a gift. So employ it in serving one another as the manifold blessings of God. What's he saying? He says, and, and so the one who speaks, speak as you would the oracles of God, the message of God. What's he saying? Well, for, for a few folks that speak from time to time, it can be up front. Don't get all preoccupied with how well you speak. I, I've discovered that Nothing shuts down the anointing in my life to be a communicator like being glad I said it so well in that last sentence. I fight that as if that is the temptation of Satan because I know that it is. The only way as a speaker that I can stay in the flow if I am in the flow of the Spirit is to have you fully on my heart and stand in front of the heart of God and try to get out of the way and let him speak and I don't know why God has hooked up that flow to my eyes and my nose but he did <laughs> I've asked him about that over and over again 
But maybe it's to humble me. Maybe it's to get me out of the way. Maybe it's to stay in that place of abandon. Whenever you're using your spiritual gift, whatever it is, he says, to those who serve, that we might serve with the strength that God supplies. And so what that means is that every time we use our spiritual gifts, we are partnering with God in His work. And, and when we do that, there's a little bit of us mixed in there and a lot of Him mixed in there. And that's what makes it a spiritual gift, I think. And some of them function so freely and regularly through who we are as people that it's almost like just the color of our personality as God works through us. And it happens pretty regularly. You know how they said of Jesus, He's so much God as if He were not a human. And He's so much human, it's as if He were not God. When He served, He gave that impression. He was fully involved, but so was God. Now, this is what I mean. The gifts, the spiritual gifts are not just powerful, the ones that are spooky and manifesting obviously God's presence. But those that simply align your heart to be who you are, where He's called you to be, are just as much as spiritual gifts when you couple your spirit with His spirit as you serve. And that's why Paul said, I think, Desire the gifts, but aim at love. Because when that happens, who you are and what you do can align with who God is and what God does. And when that happens, (laughs) you can discover a powerful partner, however you serve. You'll find yourself sitting in a room with little kids and you're just doing what you do. You're putting up the stuff on the, you know, the felt board. I don't know what they do back there. It's been a long time since I was back there. God help them. And, and you're doing what you do. And all of a sudden you turn and you look at a little kid. And all of a sudden you're standing in that place. And you don't know how you got there. But, but all of a sudden you're in touch with where that kid is. And you're in touch with the heart of God. And something starts flowing through you that's different than if you were only available to yourself and how you could make yourself look and the impression that you can make. There's something holy and sacred that flows through our service when we empty a trash can and think about God smiling. It doesn't matter if it's showy or if it's something that happens deep behind the scenes, our gifts differ by design. And the great tragedy is often we desire someone else's gift and neglect employing our own. This morning there's a, there's a handout in, in your bulletin called Serving Effectively. And we want to encourage you to employ your gifting. And I, I can't tell you what that is. I, I don't know. But I would bet as you serve, you've come to realize there's some things that you enjoy doing, some things that bring you joy as you're doing them, some things that have given you great joy as you've expressed them. You've sensed that partnership with God maybe. Look through this list, all kinds of check boxes here. You might be able to see, your, see yourself serving in, in, in one of these ways. And 
in all these ways, whatever you choose to do, you usually gravitate towards your gift and how you do it. Some of us are given the gift of administration. You show up in a children's ministry, you immediately know that the desk is out of order, that things aren't being processed right, that that kid didn't get his name tag. You're an administrator. That's what you do. You oversee. You oversee. You see more than anybody else, right? You're, you're an administrator. You're a manager. Some, some people, don't, I don't have that gifting. That ain't what I do. That drives me crazy. That's why we hired Scott McCrary, you know? Uh, I, 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 that, that's not my gifting. I, I will approach almost everything as a communication event, a staff meeting. I, I, I don't see the structure. I don't know how to put it together, but I know what I'm going to say. Chances are, whatever your gifting is, that's what you do, but that doesn't define where you do it. Or even, how, you know... Where you do it is often determined by your own personal passions. God has touched your heart in such a way as to give you a special heart for a certain kind of person. It, 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 some of you may have a heart for youth. And I would bet that passion probably grows out of an experience in your own youth where you recognize the importance of kids getting connected with Christ. Maybe you miss that and you know the carnage of that. Maybe you discovered that and you, you want to give away the joy of that. But, but that for which you have passion is a clue maybe to, to, to where you want to serve. There's servant abilities. Those are the gifts. And there's servant aptitudes. Paul and Peter had the same kind of gift. They were apostles, right? But in Galatians it says that Paul went to the Gentiles just as Peter went to the Jews. There's nothing wrong with that. God gives us a heart to reach certain kinds of folks sometimes. Follow that leading. Invest in that passion. What you have to be careful not to do is to criticize everyone else because they don't have the same passion you do. Paul didn't say, hey, Peter, if you were really apostle, you'll, you'd get your tail out of Jerusalem and come deal with some of the Gentiles with me. No, he said when he went back to Jerusalem that they affirmed one another to be called to the people that they were called to be with, you know? Sometimes we as Christians try to push our heart's passion off on somebody else. And to some degree, that's okay. You can light somebody else's fire. But don't criticize someone else because their passion lies elsewhere. Does that make sense? God made us different. Different parts of a team. What if the Yankees were all first basemen? Where would the team be? What game could they possibly prevail? Right? But God gave us gifts that differ so that all of us could be a part of the teamwork. Everybody's got a glove. Those on the field, and have you noticed even some in the stands? Those kids there ready to catch a fly, I always feel sorry for those kids, don't you? I mean, what's the chances? One in about a billion, they're going to hit a ball to, to, to that kid. You know what I mean? Oh, I just feel for him. I, 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 I just want to kind of throw one his way. You know what I mean? And, and it's, oh, there it is, kid. God is saying, look, if, 
or Paul is saying, if you've been given each of us a glove, employ it. Get on the field. Get in the game. Become a person that's exercising the gift God has given you that you might bring Him glory and bless others around you. Their servant abilities, their servant attitudes, aptitudes, different experiences, different passions, different temperaments. I don't know if you studied this temperament stuff, but some of the grids that are often used is you're more a task person and some people are more a relational people person. God can use both those kinds of personalities. Some, some people are, are, are uh, more extroverted and others more introverted. God can use both of those kinds of peoples. There's examples of those kinds of personalities all through the Scripture that Jesus used mightily. But again and again, God calls us to use our gifts not as lone rangers, but as a part of the team. Listen to Ephesians 4. I urge you, therefore, uh, the prisoner of Christ, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. All of us have been called. Each of us have been gifted. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints. That's us. That's the believers. If you don't believe that, Paul called the Corinthians saints. I think it applies here. In all of Scripture, saint is never singular. It's always in the plural because it's talking about generic believers, all of us together, for the equipping of saints, for the work of service. For the work of service? It, it can be work. Yeah, if you've ever done it, it can be downright trying. To the building up of the body of Christ. If you find yourself in service regularly, you'll find that Christ-directed environment a recurring stretch. In fact, I would say this. If you would adventure to employ your gifts and to get regular in service for the Lord, to serve Him effectively, I would venture that you would discover what I've discovered. There's no place that reveals the Christ contradictions in my heart like the challenges I find when I serve. It's a pouring out. And if it's a pouring out, it's a draining if you're not getting filled. Right? And I keep discovering that when I have problems with the fruits of my service, it's because I've neglected the roots of my service. I need to return to Him. And if you think that you can join any church or any team in service and discover there just this unrelenting momentum to joyously serve and uh, to effectively serve all the time, I got news for you. There are going to be other human beings at your side just like you. And on that day that you come in and your enthusiasm is, is, is brittle, sometimes they'll be having a good day and they'll lift you up. And sometimes they're going to be Eeyore. 
You know what I mean? I don't know. Can you believe we're back here again? Boy, I'd be that way. If I got up here every Sunday at 7.30 in the morning and start cooking them eggs and cracking and doing all that breakfast food that we just come in and get to consume, you know, and have... And those people amaze me. I am not a morning person, you know? Don't, don't send me in there at 7.30 in the morning. We're all the other... Why don't we rotate this responsibility? Couldn't everybody serve in the kitchen every now and then? I'd have a lot of good ideas for you. Isn't that true? You get involved in service and you'll discover the challenge of, of serving alongside people who need their tanks filled as much as you do. No wonder, he says, that God gave us these gifts for the work of service for the building up of the body, the whole body itself with love. I've watched some of you go on mission trips. You've prayed about it. You've been thinking about the people you're going to bless. You get down there and you're some of the most selfless creatures I've ever seen. Pour your hearts out. Doing stuff around here, we'd hire out. Mixing cement, toting block, sweeping floors, eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in 110 degree heat. Something's touched you. As our family from Katrina said, there's something wrong with you people. Just, just keep serving. And the reason for that is when you get down there and you're focused on glorifying God and edifying others, you get freed up to serve. Let's bring that freedom home. Let's live that freedom every day. Let's rediscover it when it gets elusive. When one of us gets the mully grubs, I don't know what that is, a former pastor, but when one of us gets down, let's encourage one another. Let's build up one another in love. Let's hold up each other's hands until all of us together present to God a bouquet of faithfulness of effectiveness. And he says, well done, thy good and faithful servant. I was amazed by what Lisa Beamer said of her husband the day after he had been tragically killed. She said that as she learned of, of how he died, that her whole attitude about it changed. Do you remember Todd Beamer? He sat in the back of Flight 93. Fifteen had been pushed to the back of the plane on 9-11. There was a terrorist there with a bomb strapped to his waist. Others had the others crammed into first class at the front. They had stormed the cockpit with knives, taken the lives of the pilots, had taken over the plane. At the back of the plane, Todd Beamer didn't want to frighten his wife, so he ended up on a conversation with uh, uh, the GTE service manager that day, and she was talking him through, staying connected. She was telling him what was happening with the other planes, and 
he was telling her to say goodbye to his wife, his one and three-year-old son. He said, we're planning to jump the guy with the bomb. We can't allow this plane to kill so many others. And his last words were, you guys ready? Let's roll. And he put down his phone. And he left a legacy to a country and to a family. A legacy of love. What else serves like that? What else forgets self and thinks of others like that? I pray that someday each of us will become such a servant of Christ that what we do will itself be an explanation of who we love. You ready? Check a box. Leave it by the door in a basket. Are you ready? Let's roll.